thank you, Pastor Kevin, and thank you, church family, for joining us today. It's a big deal that we are linked together. In fact, God's word says, and Jesus is talking to Peter and talking to the disciples in the New Testament, and Jesus says to Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing can overcome uh, the power of the church because Christ is at the center. So from wherever you are joining today, it's a big deal that we're linked together. We're not simply watching church. We're not observing church. We are the church, the living expression of the body of Christ. So thanks for connecting. Whether you're new or you've been uh, around Northland a long time, uh, just as a reminder, we're on a journey right now. We're going through a series called Awaken. In this series, we're looking at the Gospel of John and looking at the stories, the interactions that Jesus had, the conversations, the miracles, the life transformation that took place in that first century. And we're looking at not only how that impacted the disciples and the culture and the church in that time period, but what does it look like for us today in the 21st century? How are we impacted as disciple makers? And so we're going to be looking at another story today. And just again, it's a big deal. Thanks for linking with us. We're going to be picking up um, in John chapter 14, if you have your scriptures there. We're going to talk about an important uh, subject. In fact, it's a word uh, that is uh, at the heart of who Jesus is. In fact, uh, the word itself is heart. I love this picture. Some of you might recognize uh, uh, Debbie Rejas. Uh, Debbie is holding that heart for a very important reason. Last year, she went through an incredible ordeal. One event led to another, and very unexpectedly, she found herself on an operating table uh, going through what she thought was going to be triple bypass surgery, ended up being quadruple bypass surgery. Let me show you a picture of her family and tell you a little bit about her story. This is her beautiful family. We've got Joshua, Debbie peeking through there, uh, Becca, uh, Debbie's husband, Edwin. They've been going to Northland for about 13 years. Back when they were exploring and looking for churches during that time period, uh, they were looking for a church that would especially uh, be inviting and caring for their son, uh, Joshua, who has autism. And one of the things I love about this church is uh, the access ministries and CAC and and what Heather Suber and Marty and that team does. It's a big deal uh, what's taking place in that ministry. Not only uh, is it a ministry, but it is an invitation for, for us. Their philosophy is biblically, we are all contributors to the gospel. Jesus has gifted every one of us. We are made in the image of God. And so every one of us brings our gifts, our contributions. And so I love that the whole family got connected. They volunteer and they're heavily involved in access ministries. But one of the things that happened was I was talking to Debbie about this passage that we're going to be going through, John chapter 14. And I was explaining what Jesus was teaching in this this particular text. And she started to tell the story of of this ordeal that she went through. Last April, she went in to have an EKG test done on her heart. The doctors who uh, look after her mom, who has uh, significant complications with her heart, suggested that all the children get this test done. Debbie goes in and, uh, and she fails the EKG test. They do another one and another one and she's failing all of them. 
they actually then issue her to have a nuclear, uh, nuclear stress test on her heart. And so she goes in and she's asking all of her friends and family and access ministries and her home group and everyone in the church to pray. And she takes the test and the doctors get back to her within 24 hours and say, we need you to come back. We've got some news that we need to tell you. She knew it must be bad for it to be that quick of a turnaround. She goes and meets with the doctors and they say, there's bad news and there's good news. The bad news is that three of your arteries are significantly blocked. Two of them nearly 100%, one of them at 90%. The good news is that your heart has done something very unique. In fact, they called it somewhat of a miracle. Uh, Basically, the surgeon began to explain to Debbie that what had happened with her heart was an unusual thing. It's unusual for it to happen to anyone, but uh, even at her age, it, it often occurs with people much older. And so for her, it was unusual that her heart did this. It created what was called collateral vessels these bypass um, vessels that went around and continued to expand and grow and allow uh, blood to flow through her heart. So they checked her into the hospital. She had to wait four days as they were monitoring her and, and prepping her. Debbie described what it was like over those four days to get up out of her bed and look out the window this particular room uh, that she had, um, when she would open and look through the window, open the curtains, there was only a small piece of the sky that she could see because of all the buildings that that were um, enclosed around it. And Debbie began to describe to me what it was like to have these very raw conversations, these conversations every day with God, asking big questions about why, Big questions about if something were to happen to her, who's going to look after her family? And she began to describe what it was like then as the day approached April 29th at 10 p.m. And they began to roll her into the operating room and the doors opened. And she knew that no more family or friends were going to be able to cross into that operating space. And she describes that moment as saying to Jesus, It's just you and me now. Some of us have been in that place where we are the ones that are going through uh, the doors of of an operating room. I've been there a couple times. Um, It's terrifying. Some of us have been on the other side where we are watching a family member or a close friend go through those doors and we can't go in there with them. It's terrifying. And Debbie found herself in that space And she came out of the surgery. It was a successful surgery. She had 10 months of of intensive, difficult, painful rehab. And Debbie went on to describe many interactions that she had with the staff. In fact, uh, after the surgery was over, that following weekend, she turned on and, and was watching the Northland worship service. And the surgeon came in and asked her what she was watching and she said, I'm joining my, my church service online. And he, he glanced over and, and said, oh, it looks like Northland. I know that church really well. And Debbie be, began to describe all the ministry that's come out of this whole ordeal that had to do with her physical heart. In fact, she said this. I love this quote. Because of my open heart surgery, my spiritual heart was forever changed. And I can say to others, I know what it is to live in the goodness of God. 
no matter what kind of, of approach we have right now with our Creator, we all come before God with different heart troubles. Some of it's physical. I know that I have some friends, I was talking to some Northlanders last week who have a neighbor who recently died of heart complications. Uh, several months ago, this same uh, family, friends of ours from Northland, they had a family member pass away from a heart attack. Heart trouble is big trouble. Any kind of heart trouble is big trouble. And the enemy knows that when it can attack at the heart, the enemy is disrupting the very life, the very center, not only of who we are physically, but as Jesus begins to teach in John 14, 1, the enemy is, attack, is attacking our hearts spiritually. In fact, the text that we're picking up here, the first verse, John 14, 1, says this. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That word for heart is cardia from the Greek, where we get cardiac arrest. Many of us are experiencing a type of cardiac arrest, even now, spiritually. And the enemy knows to attack in all the right places to make us feel defeated, discouraged, disillusioned. There's blockage going on in our spiritual heart. And often what happens in that space is the enemy knows that the biggest goal is to distract us from our creator. So what we're gonna look at is some of the heart trouble that was taking place in 33 AD, give or take. Jesus is with the disciples. We've been talking about these stories. Uh, Dr. Steve Brown preached last week, uh, Pastor Gus the week before, and we're looking at these incredible stories, these challenges, these difficulties that the disciples are facing during this time period. This story picks up right in the middle of Holy Week. All of this is happening leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. So it's been a tough week. It's been a tough month. Here's some of the things that had been happening. The disciples are completely discouraged at this point. Jesus said he was going away. He told them he would die soon. One of the 12 was a traitor, and that was revealed. Jesus pointed that out over an intimate family dinner. Peter would disown Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Satan is at work against all of them. And in fact, Jesus says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, all the disciples would fall away. It's been a rough month, a rough year for the disciples. And maybe you're at that place now. Maybe you've had some conversations with friends and family. And 2020, as we know, has not been a great year for most of our hearts. A lot of disruption, a lot of difficulty, sorrow, sadness, uh, challenges. And often we come to this place and we experience a year like we're having just in the first six months of this year and we're wondering, is the scriptures relevant? Is Jesus relevant? Is there anything that God's word can speak to for today? Some of us, just going back to the last six months, I've seen on social media, maybe you've seen some of these Dear Diary 2020, lots of interesting, sometimes funny, sometimes tragic. Um, I just created a quick list of my own. I, I wasn't trying to um, capture everything. Going back to January, just a few highlights of what we've experienced just in the six months leading up to today. Some of these I had either forgotten about or they seemed like they had happened years ago or I didn't even know a couple of these had happened. Do you remember Australia caught on fire? 
That was back in January. We almost went to war with Iran. Rumors surface of a virus in China. Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven others die in a helicopter crash. Brexit took place. Uh, The first round of the primary elections. Uh, The World Health Organization named the new virus COVID-19. COVID-19 is then named a pandemic. Global markets are in crisis. Flights and cruises are being canceled. Schooling is greatly impacted. Toilet paper is impossible to find. Uh, Jobs are classified as essential or non-essential. Peace talks taking place with the Taliban. Kim Jong-un might have died. We we still don't know if if he... is dead or not. Oil production massively reduced. Ahmed Aubrey is killed. George Floyd is killed. Breonna Taylor is killed. Protests are taking place across America and across the world. A giant asteroid nearly missed the Earth. Sports events were canceled everywhere. Scientists found a mysterious undiscovered mass at the center of the Earth. A strange radio signal was heard repeating itself in the universe. A massive dust cloud came across the Atlantic from the Sahara Desert, which I'm told happens often, but it's 2020, so for some reason that's even more magnified. And now here comes July. And it's in the middle of all of this that Jesus drops these profound words, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. These words, believe, it's central to the gospel of, of John. If you, if you study this, and scholars have looked at this biblically over the centuries, and belief is one of the, the key subject matters of why John wrote this gospel. Depending on which translation you read from, it might say either believe or it might say, you trust in God, trust also in me. Belief is a big deal. Uh, among the greatest treasures in this world is for someone to believe in us, for us to believe in someone else, to believe and to walk along with someone is is to trust each other and to invite each other to walk on this journey together. It's a big deal. And Jesus is saying to the disciples then, and he's saying to us, believe me, trust me, follow me. We're going to talk about the significance of that today. There's a lot of assurances that Jesus gives in the scriptures that we're going to be looking at today, but I want to highlight two of them that Jesus uh, addresses for this belief, for this trusting in him. The first one that we're going to look at as we go through the scriptures is our destination, that our destination as believers, as followers of Jesus is secure. And the second assurance is that our, di- our direction is singular. We'll talk about that. We'll get into that very specifically. Let's go through some of the scriptures here and just unpack this a little bit, and then we'll talk about these assurances. This is what it says beginning in verse 2 of John 14. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, 
you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. This, this showing us, Philip is actually referencing back to the Old Testament. Uh, in the scriptures of the Old Testament, there's, there's often what uh, scholars refer to as a theophany. It's basically uh, when, when God presents a manifestation of, of himself to creation, a way that that would have been done in the Old Testament. Would have, an example would be in Exodus when the Israelites were traveling and, and God's spirit would make himself seen and evident and known by leading them in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, depending on, on whether it was day or night. And, and so Philip is asking for one of these theophanies, show us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Family, when we look at what Jesus is teaching here, we begin to see the significance of this assurance that he gives us that our, that our destination is secure. Going back to those first few verses, Jesus mentions that there are many rooms. Again, depending on the translation there, uh, if you're old school, you might have read an older translation of the Bible where it talks about uh, God has a mansion and he's preparing these rooms and he's making it ready for you. I began to think about um, just what it means to, to, to have a big space with a lot of rooms. Um, I'm sure when you do your own Bible reading, your mind sometimes drifts and you become curious and you think about things. That's kind of what I did this week. I started to think, what are some of the biggest places on earth that have a lot of rooms? Buckingham Palace came up in my Google search. 775 rooms, 52 royal and guest bedrooms, 78 uh, bathrooms, 92 offices. I think I could suffer there for a day or two. I, I think I could hack that out and make that work. But even bigger than that, I know this looks like um, my son Wyatt's like a Lego set, but this is actually called the First World Hotel and Plaza. It's found in Malaysia, 7,350 one rooms, uh, it's, it holds the record in, in the Guinness Book uh, World Records for having the most rooms of, of any hotel, any, any space, anywhere. When we think about this God that is so magnificent, that he would be preparing this place for us, that our destination, even as we're wrestling and asking questions, as our lives have been disrupted, parents are making decisions right now, uh, Addie and I, my wife and I are in the midst of that right now, trying to figure out schooling for our kids. Many parents and families are wrestling with that deadlines. What's the right option for our family situation? Some of you are going to enter into your senior year. We graduated some seniors last year in the middle of COVID. We have seniors entering school. They're senior year high schoolers, uncertain about this year. We have Students that are in college or those of you that are graduating or have graduated and are looking for jobs, a lot of questions about the future. And Jesus is saying, ultimately, all of your future is held together by me. Your destination 
is secure. What does this teach us about our Creator? It teaches us that Jesus has a big heart, a big cardia for lots of people. And it should cause us to ask this question, how is our hearts today for people? You might be asking yourself or saying to yourself, yeah, I know that Jesus has a heart for others, and I know that we should have a heart for others, but right now I feel like I need to just take care of number one, just take care of me. But have you ever noticed the way God has wired us and designed us that the way we feel most significant and fulfilled in our lives is when we give ourselves away. Why is that? Why is it that when we serve someone else with our talent, our time, our treasures, why is it that when we give a part of our life away, we receive so much benefit, so much blessing back? It's because we are made in the image of our Creator, the one who gave His whole life away. And so when we serve others and give parts of our lives away, the reason we feel so significant is because we are walking in the footsteps of our Creator. We are responding to others around us in a way that Jesus would respond to them as well. Let's look at assurance number two. Our direction is singular. What does that mean? If you think back to that powerful verse, maybe it's one that you've memorized over the years, where Jesus said, I am the way. What does that mean for Jesus to be the way? It's not by accident that he uses this word. In fact, I love how in the book of Acts, they pick up on that actual phrase. For those of you that are maybe not quite as familiar with the scriptures, you've got the Old Testament, you've got the New Testament. Uh, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're going through John right now. And then after John comes the book of Acts. In the Gospels, we get the eyewitness accounts and stories of those interactions with Jesus. In Acts, it picks up with how the church continued on after Jesus ascended back to heaven. And when Jesus says that he is the way, what's so significant is the way uh, the early church and those who were around the early church, when they observed the Christians of that time period, they would refer to them as the way. Just some of the scriptures that I grabbed real quick, you can look these up later if you want. References, they literally would say and, and talk about the Christians in the book of Acts as those who belonged to the way, or those, there were those who were maligning the way, there was a disturbance about the way, followers of this way, a follower of the way, just so many references to this Jesus who was the way. It's not by accident, it's an incredible picture of Jesus singularly giving us direction, singularly providing us with how to get from here to there. That's what Thomas was asking about. It was the questions that was most deeply um, agitating and frustrating and struggling within the disciples. And maybe you find yourself today in that space as well. I want to give you just a very practical way to think about what it means to follow the way, what it means to singularly keep your, your eyes on Jesus. And then I want us to, to hear of one more story that's happened in the life of our church. A while back, I was going through a big decision, and this was um, all the way back to when I actually was graduating from college. And at the time, I was wrestling with some big questions about how do I 
how do I make sure that I, I make the right decision after college? And I was wrestling with that. And there was a time period where I was really struggling to understand what it means um, and, and how to make a decision and, and know that it's in God's will. Have you, ever, have you ever asked that question? It's a question that pastors often get asked. Um, how do I know that I'm making a decision that's in God's will? Well, one of the things that I learned at that time through a friend, it was actually a pastor that was discipling me and pouring into my life at the time. He said, Sean, it sounds like what you're, what you're doing is you're viewing these decisions and you're viewing the life, this, these big, big questions ahead of you like a target, just a big target, not the real t- retail store, but like a target that you'd shoot a, a, an arrow at. And he said, it sounds like you feel a lot of weight and a lot of pressure to make a decision that's going to have to hit the center of that target. And if you don't hit the center of that target, you're going to be out of God's will. And I said, that's exactly how I feel. I want to hit the center of that target. I want to be in God's will. I, I don't want to miss um, making an important decision here and being outside of God's will. Sorry, I'm trying to get to, uh, there we go. And so the question is, how do we know how to hit the center of God's will. And what this pastor began to teach me was from the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, and when we look at the Gospels, what Jesus taught, instead of viewing Jesus and these decisions and how to follow God's will as a target where we've got to hit this bullseye, he said, you need to look and view the target as Jesus being the whole target. Instead of trying to hit the bullseye, just pursue Jesus. That that doesn't mean that we can just do anything immoral, illegal, or unscriptural. Those are facts that that we have to abide by those moral and scriptural and legal laws and those, those principles that we find in scripture. But he said, instead of viewing as a decision that you're making as a bullseye, just move towards Jesus. And as you move towards Jesus, you're not going to miss God's will. And so church family, as we are in a time period right now, the disciples were struggling. They felt defeated. They were discouraged. They were going through a lot in that, that time in A.D. 33. For us here in 2020 as a church, as a state, as a nation. We want to continue to pursue Jesus. You're hearing a lot about disciple-making and discipleship. We want to be followers of Jesus that are pouring into the lives of new believers, that are pouring into the lives of those uh, who, who actually will turn around and pour back into our lives and help us be more like Jesus. And so wherever you are on your faith journey, remember here today, that the enemy is going to use all kinds of ways to try to disrupt our hearts. Maybe physical, but for most of us spiritual. Create a disruption, a blockage of the Holy Spirit pulsing and moving through us. And Jesus reminds us in this text, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe, trust, walk, come towards me. I've got your destination and I'll be your direction. I want to close with a story 
of another couple, wonderful friends. You're going to recognize them uh, here when they come up on the video. We recorded them earlier sharing their story, an amazing story of heart transformation that God has been doing in their lives for a long time, in their families' lives. In fact, um, even during COVID, uh, they, they used COVID and all of that isolation time uh, as a strategic opportunity to talk about something significant that had happened in their lives over the years, and they shared that with their children. Check out the Mycroft family. Hi, I'm Steele Mycroft. This is my wife, Deanne Mycroft. Um, <laughs> we've been attending Northland since 2001. Um, uh, we have three kids. Um, uh, our oldest was six months old when we started attending, and we have boy-girl twins who um, uh, were just graduated. just graduated from high school. Just a little backstory. Um, we're both recovering addicts, come from families of dysfunction, um, alcoholic fathers and divorce and bad marriages. And so we met in recovery. Um, we had friends in common. We were friends. Um, started dating, got married, had a rough first year or two. I was not a believer. Um, I threw out my back. I read, I stayed at home on the sofa for two weeks straight. I read the Left Behind series, if you guys have ever heard about that. I read like the first five books in two weeks time. And then I said to Deanne, I think we need to start going to church. And she said, okay, I know exactly the church we need to go to. And she said, we need to go to Northland. And we started going to Northland at the rink. Yes, long time ago. Crowded space, lots of services, but it was good. It was good. And we can also tell you that if we, if I had not gotten saved um, in 2001, we would have been divorced by the end of that year. There's not a doubt in my mind. Um, uh, and our twins would not be here. So. Yes. That is one way that definitely worked in our lives. As part of the, part of the COVID, um, our children, they didn't know anything about our background. Um, they didn't know that we were drug addicts. They knew we didn't drink. They didn't know we were drug addicts. Recovering um, drug addicts. Recovering drug addicts. <laughs> it is, the last time I used drugs and alcohol was um, 1992. In fact, I can tell you it was November 22nd, 1992 was the last time I used drugs and alcohol. That's, I know. And Deanne, longer than that. Longer than that for Deanne. So I said, come out here. I want to tell you um, about my redemption story, what, what God has done in my life. And I said, started telling about when I was a teenager. And I said, so that was the first time I got arrested was what I said. And my son turned up and looked at me and he said, <laughs> you said that was the first time you got arrested? <laughs> so, and, and I've been out and I, there was a couple of times I've been in out of jail a couple of times that last night. Um, November 22nd was the last time I used drugs and alcohol because I got arrested buying crack cocaine in downtown Orlando and I've been clean and sober since then um, uh, but that's part of why I'm involved in jail ministry now is because I want those guys to know that um, uh, Jesus still loves them even if they're in jail and we still love them even if they're in jail mm -hmm. thank goodness for grace um, and that God is very gentle in how he processes us through those things. Enough for me, my husband was and still is self. Um, uh, I, I know when I look back um, on my life and I, I see any trouble that I've had previously to getting saved and since I've been saved, um, uh, 
it has always been when I'm selfish. So that is what God has worked most. His, his biggest work on me is changing my heart um, for other people mm-hmm. um, uh, and to, um, uh, to care for my wife and my, and my kids um, uh, because left to my own devices, um, uh, I, would, I, I, would, I could be totally self-consumed before I wouldn't even be aware of that. So that mm-hmm. is one of the things God has done to me is, yeah. is revealed to me like, all right, you need to, <laughs> you need, you need to I need to step off the pedestal. <laughs> Um, uh, and, and give him back the lordship in my life and let him continue to work on my heart. Mm-hmm. So let me read these words as God's promise and his assurance for us as his people. This is what it says in Romans chapter 9. What shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or sword, or danger. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. If you are in a place today where trouble is hitting you hard and hitting you heavy, I want to invite you to remember the assurances and the promises that we've looked at from God's word today. Please reach out to anybody on our online platform. We've got online ministers that would love to pray for you and stand with you during this time. We know that a lot of people are struggling physically, and we want to stand with you and pray, even as the scriptures tell us in James chapter 5, if you would like to have an elder pray for you, uh, we've got a process for that right now. We can do that uh, in a way that um, is socially distanced. You can either send a message right now, whatever platform you're using, or you can call the church this week, and we'll be sure to follow, you, follow up with you. But mostly, we want you to know that not only do we love you as our church family, but Jesus stands with us during this time. When he said, do not let your heart be troubled, he knows the troubles that we're carrying with us. Let us bring that to him. Let's bring... Uh, all of that, honestly, even as Debbie said, in a raw way, it's okay. Jesus is not intimidated by our questions or our fears or our doubts or our trouble. So bring that to him. We love you. Stay connected this week uh, in all the different ways that are taking place. We'd love to see you uh, at the devotionals every day at 9 a.m. noon or 6 p.m. Let's stay together as a church, remembering that we are the hands and feet of Jesus. Let's go and encourage others today as we give our lives away to those around us. We pray all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.